when I was learning how to make pita, there was this person who was telling me like, well, we dip our hands on ice, then we get them out, and then we dip them again on ice, and then we do... And I was just in there thinking, like, I know the grandmas were not doing this shit. They didn't even have ice. Right. <laughs> this is something's like, this is like, I always go back to that. Like, what would my grandmother do? What would my grandma's grandmother do? Like, all of that, you know, to, like, find a middle ground between what's, with what we're doing now and what they were doing then. <laughs> Welcome to the next episode of Panko Podcast. We are, I I am, this is years and years in the making. Am I wrong? This is, am I, how many times have we tried this? No, this is, uh, there have been a lot of attempts. A lot of attempts. The very elusive, the wonderful, incredibly talented, and like a little sister to me, Val Chang, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to tell you, one of my friends who finds you very cute said to me today, "Okay, oh, you're what are you doing? That panko and the chone thing?" And I'm yes, like, "Oh, that's good. oh, I'm sh- I." <laughs> she, I'm like, you might think he's a chone, but I'm going to panko podcast. <laughs> we will, we will sidebar who this nice friend is <laughs> for after the podcast. Val Chang, finally, we have you have arrived on the podcast. I don't know if you've ever listened to this thing. I'm just going to give you, you have? Yes. So you know the thing. We're going to go, th- we're going to go through your whole life and then we're going to get into topics. Okay. So tell us, I mean, obviously I think we have talked about Itamai on this podcast as much, I think, as we've talked about Ariette. I believe it. Like, um, you know, it's obviously one of my favorite places to eat and it's also a lot of other people's favorite places to eat that have been on this show. So that's great. So it's always part of partying recommendations several times. Um, so everyone knows you from that. But let's start at like the very beginning. When did little Val decide that she wanted to be a chef? Um, little Val. I think, honestly, I was always very curious in the kitchen. My grandmother's in Peru, like really, my grandmother actually really didn't let us do a lot in the kitchen out of fear that we would like cut ourselves and I always wanted to watch or to observe what they were doing um, and then when we moved here I think at maybe like 13 Nando wasn't living with us anymore so on the weekends my dad had to take me with him to the restaurants because obviously we lived in like a one bedroom apartment <coughs> there was no money like really really tough like we shopped at a dollar store only for everything and he would take me to the restaurant and I would just um, go in the kitchen and like drop mozzarella sticks or like I always wanted to garnish something and uh, maybe then I started exploring and then I did um, I started front of the house so when uh, when Nando was 13 how old were you? no I was 13 and I was 16 oh right 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 Okay, and then your dad, also a chef, Papa Chang, the Papa legend Chang. himself. Um, Nando wasn't cooking then, was he? Nando's been peeling potatoes at a restaurant since he was like 10. Oh, yeah. When we lived in Peru, and we were also going through really hard financial times, um, he just picked up a job at like, uh, at a pollos, bra- uh, pollos a la brasa, yeah. and he was peeling sacks of potatoes. And he would get paid, and he would also bring a chicken home. <laughs> I love that. So he's been at it forever, too. I mean, the, the I think the thing with both of you guys growing up around food, 
you know, as much as you did, your dad and your grandmother's just like an amazing cook. Yes. She's not like a, that wasn't like her profession. No. Right. Both of my grandmothers. Just like amazing cooks. Amazing cooks. Yeah. My grandmother also, my grandmother and grandfather are like amazing, amazing cooks. Like they yeah. just, it doesn't, it, the one thing that fascinates me about like the old generation is that like they can systematically be doing it wrong or like what I was trained to be like that that's wrong, but it still comes out like perfect and it tastes delicious and it's like, it's wild to me. And they also didn't like really let me cook when I was a kid. I was more just like enamored by the whole situation, right? Like feeding your family and how like, uh, like wholesome that felt, that moment that felt special. And I think as a kid, I like, I don't remember a lot of things, but I remember more dinners than I do anything else from like childhood. Um, yeah, you know, it's funny because um, the grandmother I grew up in mainly cooked chifa. And for the people who don't know what that is, Chinese Peruvian food. Okay. <laughs> um, she has Alzheimer's. She's still alive, you know, she's in a, in a home. But I didn't, I was so, like, I was working crazy hours when she finally moved to the States. And, you know, I didn't sit with her and ask her a lot of the recipes that now I regret. I yeah. truly, tr- I mean, I've gone back to Peru in my hometown to meet with, like, the housekeeper that lived with her for so many years. And she sat with me and taught me a whole bunch of recipes that I wish I would have um, gotten from her. I mean... Right. I have my aunt, my tia Dita, who has a lot of these recipes, who she's passing them down to me. Oh, wow. And then... Looks like they really did a number here, huh? Thank you so much. Of course. Um, but, so my other grandmother, who's very well, and she's an amazing Peruvian chef, like, cook, amazing. I will call her and be like, Aulita, yeah, tell me. Remind me again. Walk me step by step. And she's like, oh, no, a little bit of... And when the color turns this, and then... Uh, and I'm, I'm like, no, no, Grandma, like, you need to, like, slow... Like, yeah. I need you to... And we'll do this on FaceTime because the one thing I love about my my maternal grandmother is that she does answer me on FaceTime. Oh, wow, that's cool. So, you know, if I'm making her she's like, you just have to wait for the, like, caramel color. And then, then I just throw, like, two pinches of this... Oh, you know, and then everything's like out of whack. And I'm like, Grandma, I'm trying to do this for a recipe. But I'm, you know, it's really, truly amazing to try to capture those moments now. Like, regretting not having captured that with my grandmother, who I was closest to. But also, you know, trying to capture everything of my other grandmother, who's still very much here with me, who's truly, like, inspired me in so many ways about, like, Criollo food. Mm. She's amazing, you know, at it. But it is funny, like, how they're always just like, oh, no, just like... Yeah, just a little bit of that. Esto, and you throw a little bit here, and then now you're good. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, that made no sense, and it will never come out like that for me, but... um. One of my favorite uh, Instagram... Um, what are uh, accounts is Pasta Grannies. You ever seen that? Yeah. Oh, man, I love that. Because it's just like... I those They don't measure anything. They just, like, do it, and they just know it so well that it's like... They just, it's different. Like, they can tell when things need to happen. As opposed to, like, us that, you know, we're used to more structure. But they've been doing it for 40 or 50 years, and it's just, like, second nature to them. I think they feel it sometimes more than we do, you know? like Sure. I appreciate fine dining so much. 
but it's definitely not the style of food that I want to cook. And I've always been very clear with that. You know, even after I went to do my stage, I was like, okay, this isn't what I want. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you know, like they feel it differently than we do. Yeah. Well, you know, like, you know, they know, like, I always wonder when I cook something and something's not working out, like when I was learning how to make pita, there's this person who was telling me like, well, we dip our hands on ice then we get them out and then we dip them again on ice and then we do and I was just in there thinking like I know the grandmas were not doing this shit they didn't even have ice right <laughs> this is something's like this is like I always go back to that like what would my grandmother do what would my grandma's grandmother do like all of that you know to like find a middle ground between what's with what we're doing now and what they were doing then Thanks to our sponsor, Aganorsa Leaf Cigars. Aganorsa Leaf is renowned throughout the world for its signature flavor that possesses all the great attributes of Nicaraguan terroir, along with classic Cuban aroma and flavor. Aganorsa Leaf is pleased to announce a brand new edition of Guardian of the Farm, Cerberus, named after the mythical three-headed hound that stood watch at the gates of Hades. This exciting new Nicaraguan puro uses 100% Aganorsa leaf tobacco and is wrapped in Aganorsa's new Corojo 2012 cover leaf, which adds a level of complexity to the blend, adding light spice and a rich, smooth body to the blend. When you smoke one of our world-class blends, you will experience the difference between ordinary tobacco and Aganorsa leaf. That's why we say our leaf is our strength. Learn more about Aganorsa Leaf and use their store locator and find a cigar shop near you that carries their products at www.aganorsaleaf.com. The two of us smoke Aganorsa Leaf cigars often. We also offer them to a lot of our guests, like, for example, Dave Arvello, who every time I post a picture of a, a Cerberus mentions to me in my DMs or in a text how cool the band is, which it actually is a pretty slick-looking band. Um, but also... I just want to note a little personal anecdote here so it's not all totally straight up red. I can say that uh, Michael Beltran will absolutely not only vouch for the quality of Aganorsa cigars, yeah. but you met a uh, Miami legend and handed him an Aganorsa cigar. I did meet uh, uh, a Miami legend. I was smoking nearby Alonzo Morning, and we had a conversation about cigars, and he handed me one of his, and I went inside. I bought this exact same cigar, and I handed Alonzo Morning. This Aganorsa cigar, and I said, try this, thank me later. I mean, if that's not an endorsement, I don't know what is. Aganorsaleaf.com Thanks to our sponsor, The Barrel. This is a barrel-style cooker you've heard a good amount about on uh, the podcast. I was able to use it a ton in my yard and loved it. It is a unique design, a conversation piece, and most importantly, at least to me, an easy-to-use cooker with loads of capacity for ribs, chicharrón, chicken, cheese, fish, burgers, and that is just a list of the stuff that I was cooking all at once in a cooker not much wider than I am, although I'm pretty wide these days. Mike, not long ago, we took some time during a podcast to cook with the barrel in the garden behind Ariet, so tell listeners about uh, all of that while I roll some footage of the cook for the video people. Very intrigued by the design and how like the actual chicken was going to come out. I... Would have loved to actually cook more than one thing in there, but the chicken came out delicious. It was very quick, too. And we only didn't cook more because it was just the two of us at that point. Right. So Just the... Anyways, 
I think about it too, like the home cook that's going to cook this and maybe they have four people at a table. Maybe they have six. Like you could cook a good amount of things because we also cook some veg on there on the top grill and then we cook the chicken underneath it. You know, the vegetables were delicious and they cooked incredibly fast uh, and the chicken itself was delicious. We used a whole green circle bird, um, trust tied and just hung that thing and it was really, really good times. Get all of the information that you need and of course, buy your own barrel at barrel the bbq.com barrel the bbq.com and use promo code pangong10 that's p-a-n-c-o-n one zero for one hundred dollars off a hundred dollars of your order when you buy the barrel a hundred dollars a hundred dollars you know i saw a barrel the kids, I, the kids call it a, a c-note i <laughs> i saw the barrel at a place the other day Oh, yeah, that's right. You sent me a picture. Yeah, and I was telling everyone around it that was looking at it, I said, don't buy it here. Don't buy, you, it. Don't you, buy it online don't be a dummy. and hit Pancon 10, and you're going to save yourself 100 bucks. They said, what? I said, yeah, do don't, it. And they were like, be a sucker. And then the kid just run, ran out. Oh, man. He just ran straight out of the store. Peeled out in his car. Yeah, straight to, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah. He was on it. Barrelthebbq.com, promo code Pancon 10 for $100 off. C-note introducing the newest line from jura state cigars 20 acre farm is a complex refined and medium body cigar with a super oaky and cedary notes accompanied by a whisper of white pepper and a bright hint of citrus built at la gran fabrica drew estate in nicaragua using a velvety and i mean velvety Ecuadorian Connecticut shade grown wrapper. Under that wrapper is a sun-grown Habano binder and a filler blend of Nicaraguan tobaccos from Esteli and Jalapa in perfect balance with the opulent and majestic Florida sun-grown leaf. Florida sun-grown is also the name of the farm where that tobacco is lovingly grown and harvested by Jeff Borshoix, who's the guy you see in this video playing behind us, uh, on his pristine 20-acre plot of land near the central Florida town of Claremont. I have actually been to that farm, along with plenty of other cigar tobacco farms in Mexico, Central America, and the Dominican Republic. And what Jeff, who, by the way, is a very nice guy, there's actually a cigar box signed by Jeff hanging on my wall. Uh, what Jeff is doing there is super legit. Uh, so it's always cool to see products like his, which is the only premium cigar tobacco grown in Florida um, in products from a company like Drew Estate. Plus, 20 Acre Farm being a Drew Estate product means it's the creation of Master Blender and Pancom podcast guest, Willie Herrera. Support our guests and sponsors. Get it online. Ask your local cigar shop about 20 Acre Farm by Drew Estate. Learn more about Drew Estate and use their store locator to find a cigar shop near you that carries their products at DrewEstate.com. That's right. I'm probably going to smoke one of those right now. I, what are we waiting for? I think like the... Um, do we want to take like a small break? So you can no, it's, no, it's fine. Okay. Um, I think part of the thing I struggle with the most is I obviously love like fine dining food mm -hmm. uh, very much. But there's kind of like a level of fine dining I never want to reach. And I think that the perfectly imperfect, there's a lot to be said about that. And there's like, there's a realness to the food. 
that doesn't necessarily exist in all fine dining food, mm -hmm. right? Because their goal, and listen, we go through this all the time too, is like their goal is to execute efficiently and to nail it every single time, right? But that the, the element of imperfection is, I think, so important because it gives something life. Because mm -hmm. there's no perfect human on the planet, right? There's nothing that's like perfect. You're Everyone, not perfect. Every, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm out of here. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't no, believe in this anymore. <laughs> no, nobody. I think like the pursuit of perfection is kind of like flawed because you it loses its soul, and I think real food is delicious because it has a soul and it has a story and it has like a connection to something, and I think that's like you know. I understand what you mean by like fine dining isn't quite like the whole thing, but I think it's there's there can be elements of that that are taken with you on the journey. Feel me? Oh yeah, I, I think it's also you know it's just so personal because like I'm a nostalgic chef. Like I love when food makes me feel hundred percent something. Like mm -hmm. it, it it needs to taste, but I need to feel emotions like. Same when I eat a dessert, right? Like, I always compare it to the first time I had a Snickers. And I still remember. Probably because I was addicted to sugar. I was addicted to sugar when I was little. Yeah, I still I mean, am addicted to sugar, probably. I love but, sugar. Um, but I just rem until this day, like, I remember, like, what it's like to eat. Like, Snickers and Take Fives are my favorite ones. Right. But I remember, like, every time I eat a Snickers, I'm just, like, so... Everything, my childhood, every my teenage, everything. I'm like, oh my god, this reminds me of so many I have that. memories, you know. And and I always look at that like when I cook or I make a ceviche or I make anything, I want to be brought back sentimentally into a place where this reminds me of something. This made me feel something. Like that's very important to me. You know, like the feeling. I'm a, I also love sugar. So, like, salted caramel is, like, my move. Like, I love anything salty, caramelly, like, whatever. Um, but, like, I always... And I've talked about this before. Like, the moment... I love Noche Buenas. It's my favorite holiday, right? And I think... It's not like this anymore in my family. But when I was younger growing up, it was that moment. My grandfather had worked for, like, three days. And my grandmother. And they were cooking for 30 people that they love. And it's, like, that moment of just, like watching it all happen and then seeing all these people eating food and my grandparents like literally they had been working for days and they had seen this whole thing like develop from like the pork sitting in the fridge all like whatever then to ending up in the cajachina and then like it's just like a process but they still made it a point to sit down last and feed themselves last because the love and the care that they put into the food was for their family and like that, that thing, that nostalgic connection is how I feel about food in general. You know, like it doesn't matter whether it's at Ariette or if it's at Chugs or whatever it may be. It's like, for me, I want to like, that's that, I guess this is like a thing in today's world. Like, what is your love language for me? Like, I'm not a great talker. I'm not a great expressor of emotion, but like, this is how I express it for people. So what is your love language? I just said it. It's cooking food. So are you a gifter? Maybe. I don't know. I don't even know what that means. Well, there's people who love to give. To give. Like, they love buying. Their love language is buying people get a gift. Sure. There's uh, people's love language who like to touch. There's, like, five love languages, you know? Like, I, I'm, like, 
my love language is taking care. Like I always like to nurture. But the love language that I love to receive is gifts. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. And not to be like, I love it. Truly, like, I'm. I'm always happy when somebody like went somewhere and thought of me and said, "I got you this shirt," or like, "I got you this." Like that. I love. That's the way I love to like. So there's two ways of love language: the one you like to give and the one you like to receive. It's a very real thing. Yeah, receiving is a little different. I feel like not everyone is uh, is structured to receive love the same way. And it's, like, very interesting because some people don't know how to accept it completely. You know, in this, I think... Same with compliments. I feel like compliments are, uh, like, not everyone... I don't know how to take a compliment at all. Yeah, it's, you know, it's... um, I think I've taken, and I we've gone through these conversations, you know, like, the past year and a half to really search for myself. Who am I without food? Who am I with food? Who am I... with a boyfriend who am I without a boyfriend who am I without my brother who am I with my brother who am I with my dad who am I without my dad you know and with a lot of therapy and a lot of meditation and a lot of like looking for healing I've learned like we're just all we're all very traumatized (laughs) (laughs) our parents you know and it's just like it's a lot of the times when like and we we have these talks about like the expectations of like the awards and this and that it's all like for me, it's, I've learned to just live with it without holding on to it too much. Maybe there's a part of me that's avoiding it or, there, you know, because it's like I've realized that truly like there's a point where your happiness sounds so cliche, but has to come from you. Sure. Yeah. And the absolutely. healing comes from the work you put in and and otherwise, you know, it's, you know, like you said, like it's hard to take a compliment because it's also that ties in with it's hard for us to feel like we deserve the space that we take in this earth mm-hmm. <laughs> like and i've learned that like the hard way you know it's oh i've just been very avoiding of compliments and like yeah yeah i don't really care i don't you know and that is a mirror of like sometimes my struggle to like truly understand like i also deserve those things just like you do just like nick like you know mm-hmm. in the search of like in the search of happiness i mean that search is never ending i believe but it always starts with like, I believe that that search always starts like with, are you content with where you're at and who you are, right? I mean, you cannot really extend love without giving love to yourself first and like actually like expressing it to yourself. A lot of people that beat themselves down, you know, and I think it's like the world today is structured in a, in a way that it's like, so uh, look at me, mm-hmm. right? And I I feel like I worry about other like younger generations, right? Because I think that our age, we've lived both sides of like technology and like lack thereof or just less, lesser. So I think we have a good base. Like we still played outside and things like that to bring it like to a very like simple level. Um, but that whole like look at me thing is looking for validation from others and not really validating yourself, you know. And it's it's tough. I mean, I struggle with it too, right? Like, right. are you doing enough? Have you done enough? Uh, I mean, it's like a, it's, it's an everyday thing for I think people that are 
goal oriented and 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 uh, have certain like just they just want to go to a certain place. What is that certain place? And finding that certain place is very important. Yeah, it's like we're always chased with like the impo- imposter syndrome. Oh yeah, and it just like chases us and breathes behind our neck all the time. And that's why I always tell you like these awards are so rewarding, but they also take away as much as they give you. You know, yeah. because they make you feel vulnerable, because they make you question yourself, they make you like, and if for some odd reason you don't get it or you don't go to the next round then it's a whole like it's traumatizing honestly like I see it you know I see it and I'm like this is like I'm already traumatized with the own shit that I do with day to day with my staff and sometimes my staff like you know you you see so many changes and 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 they're going through their own stuff and sometimes you take it so personal you know so like I that's why all these things for me like I've learned to just be like a little bit more relaxed about it. Just whatever happens, like what I'm always truly happy is, is like, like it's 9.30 and I walk into your dining room and it's full. Your patio is full. Yeah. Of the three restaurants you have in this corner, they're full. And I'm, and that to me is like, this is like, I don't care what award what any like that to me is so special because that is truly the now and like the the present and like this is how good you really are doing you and your whole team you know because you have a dynamic where people are truly enjoying where you don't see people are, are mad you don't see people are not people are having a great time in a beautiful setting your staff feels light they're always you know and at the end to me that I've learned that that matters more yeah I mean anything because otherwise we're just in this constant pressure of like are you good enough are you good enough are you good enough like and it's it gets tiring to to wonder like am I good enough am I as good as Michael am I as good as my brother am I do I work as hard as my dad am I good as like the new staff that are coming into Tamai you know like and I've gone through all that in the year like am I good enough to be next to Tere? Am I good enough to be next to Nico? Am I good enough for my brother? Am I good enough? For, and I'm like, well, this is like a, I'm living in a war in myself to just like truly live. Right. You know, it's taking a lot of therapy and a lot of investment too to like get to a point where I'm like, yo, I just exist. Yeah. I'm very happy. I get to do what I, I'm blessed that I don't really work for anybody else. I'm blessed that I can choose that like, like right now I'm like, all right, the light bulb turn on again and I'm going to change everything at B-side. And I've ordered my new equipment and I'm going to, I changed this. Like, I've learned to just look for like, I mean, this is, there's really no point to this exact comment, but like, just to be, try to be a little happier. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think like, uh, obviously we're, we will talk about awards more, but, um, you know, like this is just so people get context, right? Like this is the first year that the guide will rate Miami, right? So this week invitations went out to the award ceremony that no one knows what they're getting and no one knows what's happening and i had this conversation with a very dear friend um and you know like the conversation pretty much went like this is no matter what happens i think that there's a solid amount of people and restaurants in the city that are incredibly blessed because people love them 
They go there all the time. They enjoy themselves. And they, like, they really have become, I guess, part of that restaurant's family. You know, and like, Ariette, we feel it a lot. I mean, we have a lot of people that come here all the time and they enjoy themselves profusely and they come several times throughout the month or even within a week. And like, it's hard for me. I'm a, I'm a competitor, right? Like, that, this is my biggest thing. I like, <laughs> I like to compete. No matter what happens in the world, like, I'm, I'm blessed. We're, we're so all pretty blessed. blessed. People love your restaurants. People love my restaurants. People love that person's restaurant. And, like, it's almost when you're younger and you work for other people, you're always saying, like, I just want to reach this level. And then when you get to this level, you, you, the noise, there's so much noise, right? Like, there's so much, like, so much shit that needs to happen, so much shit that goes wrong that you, like, in the day-to-day, you just, like, it could really fucking crush you, right? But if you were to step back and look at it through 2020, right? 2020 vision, not the year. Um, like, it's incredible. Like, you, yes. you essentially are living what you once upon a time dreamed of. And I have to remind myself of that shit all the time. Because, again, I'm a competitor. So, like, I want us to be great. I want us to be the best. I want us to strive for more. I want us to do as much as we can. But I also want kind of some of the things that I wasn't given as a young cook, which is, like, to see some of these younger kids underneath me really grow and help them grow and teach them the things that I was never taught. Give them that opportunity. Like, really, like, it's okay to fail. Let me coach you through the failure. Let me help you through it. And let's get there together. And at the end of the day, you have someone that appreciates you more and that also appreciates their job more and appreciates the food that they cook more. You know, and I think, like, all of that is very cyclical. You know, Mm -hmm. like, it all works together. It's all, like, very interesting. But you need to take a step back. You need to take a deep breath and look at it. It's hard to do when you're in the day-to-day. You're very aware. I know. As am I. And I think everyone who, who lives within a position like ours... It's tough. It's not easy. It's really... (laughs) You know, I I already think you're doing... Like, I already think you're the best. Oh, you're sweet. I think you're the best, I already think that what you're doing is incredible. I already think that you're coaching. I already think all those things you mentioned. I already think of you, and I admire those things from you. You know what's the hardest part? I think we grow up in an environment that's incredibly tough, right? And I think that we, you fight and you claw every day, you know, as a line cook, as a sous chef, a junior sous chef, executive chef, whatever fucking position you have. It's like, it's a fight, you know, like you go through it. And then I think when you turn from player to coach more, it's a hard shift. You know, you really have to retrain your mind. And I think at that point, it's like very hard to assess a lot of things because before it's like what is your gig you work a station you need to own that station you need to boss that station you need to crush all the food that you cook you need to run the cleanest tightest ship that you have and now it's different now you have to run several tight ships and clean houses and also nurture the people and teach them underneath you how to do that 
It's a very different. It's a very weird world to to move to, you know. But I also feel like I was fortunate enough to work for some really great chefs and people that I love and respect very much. I learned what I learned from them, and I took what I took from them, and I also want to apply things differently my way. Yeah, I mean, I think it's easier to be a chef in one restaurant in one place yeah. where you're out control than to become like a businesswoman or a businessman, right? Because that's essentially what we what we're all we're both in our own way turning into, right? <laughs> Amen. I think I have to tell myself all the time this. So because I go through those like, what is happening to my life? And then, you know, I um, like I'll go and work. I surprise them, you know, as the season's coming to an end of the arena, I've been slowly dipping my feet back at B-side. My staff is definitely feeling it. For sure. Um, I surprised them all last weekend on a, on a Friday. I worked service with them. <laughs> they were like, I just can't go faster. Yeah. <laughs> like, faster. <laughs> like, keep rolling. Um. And uh, three of them were very late, and they got there, and I said, go home. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. I'll work this whole line by myself, you know? Um, I knew they were going to ask me to stay, but, you know, it's a principle. <laughs> did you um, send them home? No, no, because then I'm also like, you know, I did say to them, go home. And they were they just stood there like puppies, didn't know what to do. And I truly meant it. I'm like, all right, go home, and what? That's the beauty of being... And I've always remind myself of this. The beauty of being the creator <coughs> and like the founder is that I you can start it all over, over again. again every yeah. single time. Over and mm-hmm. over again, right? So um no, and that's a businesswoman out of me. Like I knew that and that's also the you know, the uh, we're like so like I think there's such a part where we're like so um, noble, but also we're such egomaniacs, right? Yeah. We're like, when I'm like, go home. That's just like me putting my foot down and just showing you that I'm the boss, you know? Where then there's the part of like, they're not, I know they're not going to go home. I know they're going to stand there like puppies. And I, you know, in order for them to go home, it would, it would require a big altercation that I just simply don't really want to go through. And, I've learned now to just, you know, the next day I send a very long message about um, schedules, tardiness, and what I'm expecting of them. And uh, just, you know, with the final message of don't get surprised. Right. When um, when the schedule changes and you may not see so many hours. Like, this is the expectation and you either, you know, like, being a chef is, I think, a little easier not easier but a little more controllable than being a businesswoman for me you know like mm-hmm. i have to remind myself of those things because on friday night we did amazing you know i was there we did amazing the sales were up and just like i mean i don't think any role took more than like seven minutes but but you know um and then i go back saturday night look at the numbers look at the peaks it's not the same it's I don't like why right. and then I have to tell myself it's because I'm not there and because I've because I was at the arena handling another business that I decided to do yeah you know and just give myself the room to like have a little wiggle when I um my saying always when I feel like because they're obviously always going to be better when you're there right what I tell them all the time is like the truest form and like the 
true fiber of what makes a human a human is what you do when other people aren't watching. Yeah. And I remind them of that all the time. Like, you're all grown-ups. And, you know, you can fail. And it's okay. But don't fail because you were being lazy. Don't fail because you wanted to take the easy way out. Don't fail because you didn't want to put in the work. Fail because you were going 100 miles an hour and you just fucked something up. And that's yeah. okay. That's all right. That's how I learned, you know? But, like, that thing of just, like, you are who you are when other people aren't watching you. That's the true fiber of who you are. And that's going to dictate the rest of your career. Yeah. It's not going to be me. It's going to be you. Like, you will go as far as you want to go. And I think telling people that has really, it's, it's stuck with a lot of people, you know? And some people haven't made it because of that. You know, and they weed themselves out because of that, you know, and it's like, I think just because we are where we are and the amount of things and different outlets that we have, it's the only way I could survive, you know, is by reminding them that like, yeah, I mean, I think you will be at your best when I'm over your shoulder, but you should be at your best because you want to be at your best. It's so frustrating, right? To be like, you're your best because I'm here. This is cr- um. Yeah, and we're also so emotional. Like, you know, I, you have people's livelihood in your hands. Yeah. And it's very scary um, to make those wrong decisions and to fuck someone's life up. Like, well, this person was counting with money. This I don't know um, everything that goes deep inside into every single one of my employees' lives. Yeah. You know, but today I had a moment where I was driving I talked myself through it and I said listen when you sit with this person don't get caught in the moment like just truly tell them that you really need to make decisions that benefit the business right and it was very difficult and I am I could be very cold sometimes too you know and and it was very difficult because this is somebody that I've been working with and I'm you know I, I really do enjoy working with them we just have to restructure you know like I realized you know, some of my prep cooks, this is what happens when you also take eight months off a of business, right? Like, we've been focused in the arena, and my one of my, you know, prep cooks aren't there on the weekends. And I'm, you know, as time, the changes are coming, and they're coming in hot. And I'm like, no, I'm very sorry. I understand you might have been working here for a year. But for what I need for this business to thrive again, the way right. I want it to thrive, I need prep cooks here on the weekends. Of course. You can come in at 6 a.m. if you want and leave at 1. You, I will work with you on that. But this is like, and it's always been very difficult for me because I start thinking like about all the other stuff, the emotional attachment stuff. And I, that's like the chef part of me that like when you're there in one restaurant, you can hold it down and whether that person doesn't come or not, as long as you've managed them so well on Thursday, on the whole week, you're going to survive, you know? Mm. Where the businesswoman out of me comes out and she tells me I'm like, no, Val, you're gonna go in there and you're gonna tell them this is exactly what you need. And I if think you'd the, like to stay, you can stay. And if you don't want to stay, I understand. But this is what this business needs going forward, you know. And that's very difficult too. I, I've, <laughs> I've got, I've got, difficult to me. I've gotten away from like that feeling super difficult for me because without the business, no one gets paid. Right? Yeah. There, there is no job. You know, and I know I understand that other people need certain things, but the business needs X, Y, and Z. Yeah. That's why I tell people all the time, like, you know, our job as like the boss boss, 
is it sounds cool. It's also a very lonely job because you have to make a lot, a lot of decisions that a lot of people don't agree with. And you have to make them. You have to make them. No one else is going to make it for you. Yeah. Right? Like, there's not a chef over your shoulder saying, no, we'll, we'll add this or we'll do that. You have to do it. And a lot of people aren't going to agree. And that's okay because you are making the best decision for the business, for the restaurant to succeed. Because that's what matters. So everyone gets fed. Period. Yeah, that was a conversation I had today. I'm like, this is what it's going to take. Because it's on a fun subject, right? A lot of this... Um, Itamai has progressed so much from where we were. Um, and I think it's very clear the direction of what Itamai is now, right? It's very clear where it's heading, where it's going, and what it is now. And in that change, it's been a little bit sometimes of shock to people that, you know, for instance, would come for the roles, you know, and then they go and... Um, you know, we'll be like, where are the roles? What do you mean? You don't sell. And it's allow us to finally give the opportunity to do what I think was meant to be from the beginning, which is move all those things to B-side, mm. make it a lot more Nikkei, um, bring in a lot of the other stuff. Obviously, not the same. Time has passed. You're inspired by different things. Um, so very excited for that. Gonna right. bring basically little Itamai from upstairs in a different version to B side. I love little Itamai. Um, so, and it's also allowed me to truly feel inspired again. <coughs> you know, I'm like, oh, I know this ceviche, and I know this thing that's coming on, I know this and this and this and this. Like, I know exactly where I'm heading with this, with this menu, you know, and the direction I'm going with it. And I think it'll be a good place for the business and for myself well i mean at the end of the day like i mean you guys are the business right so like if you guys feel inspired and you guys feel good that's that's like the most important thing i mean inspiration is tough when you're a business person you know like you get lost in the sauce a lot because you're running a business so finding that moment of creativity and inspiration is huge and you have to reignite that self that stuff all the time it's hard to, to i mean i think we're always so creative and thinking about all these things but then you're like so how do i do this right when i'm like at the arena i'm like very confused or how do you how do you do this can the, can the kitchen do this yeah. can the cooks pull it off can they i think that's like a lot of things because the other thing too is to remember like not everyone is you and not everyone is your brother yeah. Not everyone is Papa Chang. So it's like, there's levels of like, okay, so I have this person that works this position. What are they capable of pushing themselves to? Can I push them to another dish or changing that dish to a more complex dish? And um, can they handle the workload of adding X, Y, and Z? Like the salad that's sitting in front of you. Stuff yeah. like that was like, that was like a three week, four week conversation. You know, can, can we really, can we push them to do we already have something like it, but this is going to be a little more. This is a step further than where we were previously. So are they ready for it? And those conversations too are not something that I'm, I, I mean, now I'm used to them, but when we first started to grow and things started to change and I wasn't the one that was simply back there every day doing it, I couldn't change the menu every four days because mm -hmm. it wasn't just me. Right. I had to train them to think like me, to act like me, to cook like me. And that took a lot of time. 
Time out. I'm going to get a drink. Pew, pew, pew. And we're back. I think we've kind of lost track here, so let's go back. Okay. So, you were a kid, obviously, seeing things from your grandparents, kind of enamored by food. They didn't let you do anything. When did this, like, all kind of snowball into, like, you doing what you do now? Um... I don't, you know, just started working. <laughs> like, it just happened because I'm one of those people who, like, I'm clear that I was born for this. I don't know if I'm clear. Um, I don't know if my story will be that it's so clear that I'm just always going to be a chef, you know? Mm-hmm. I think it's clear for me that this is the work I wanted to be in. This is the business I want to grow in. So for me, like my dad would always tell me when I, I, I also very much love clothes and I love shopping. Okay. Because if I wasn't a chef, I would have, and I did go to retail um, for a little bit. Um, and my dad would tell me like, why are you buying those shoes? Like, can't you tell that like that was your week's worth of work? You're not tired? Like, no te pesa? And I used to always answer him like, no, because I really don't work. Like, I work but it's not a job to me it's like what i love to do right you know so i struggle with my shopping habits and like feeling <laughs> like that. that was a week's worth oh okay yeah. that's fine it's <laughs> that's worth fine it. i mean i'm gonna do it anyway whether i whether i really love wearing those shoes or i don't ever wear them or i don't own them i still have to go to work <laughs> so when were, um, how old were you when you first got a job in a kitchen so I would go to caterings with my dad as well and like would so when maybe I was like 14 or something and it was a summer or right before summer or after and um I would always go to my dad's the place where I would go where I would drop like mozzarella sticks or garnish the rolls for him and um one time a server called out and we were so weeded because it was a kosher place and it was like Saturday night and it was slammed. And I don't know if you know this, but kosher restaurants, when they open on, sar- on Saturday, it is fucking like the Olympics. I don't like, know that. It is like people are hungry and it's and you have like three hours to make like $12,000 of sales. <laughs> like It is wow. crazy. Somebody called out and, um, you know, I've been watching them for a while. So I said, I can do this. Like a fourteen-year-old girl, like I can serve. I can do. I've watched you, <laughs> and I did it. And um, they paid me like two hundred dollars. And I said, "Fuck it." Is are they coming tomorrow? Because um, I would be with my dad Friday, Saturday, and Sundays. And I said, "You know, are they gonna work tomorrow?" And they said, "No, we could use your help again." And I came and I worked a double on a Sunday. They gave me like four hundred dollars, oh, and I man. was like shook. <laughs> so that's how I started in the front of the house. Right. And then I asked my dad if he would allow me to do this on the weekends with him, and he did. So then I I started serving. Then when um school came back on, I got a job at Panera Bread. You know, first as a cashier, and then I went to and then I went to the line, and then I went to the bakery in the morning. I always loved. Um, setting up the displays, like the bagels and the cookies, and like 
Mm. You know, and even when I went into retail for a little bit, <clears throat> kind of similar. I got myself in a position where I was a visual merchandiser. Mm. So I didn't really work with people as much. I actually, we would get themes for what it was uh, going to need to look like. And then a thousand boxes of products that you had to find space for. And that also that the, that you want, people wanted to shop. So I, I always loved the, the visuals. So then I went to Panera Bread and then I did retail um, up right after college. And then um, still would do caterings by that here and there. Would like, I loved a little bit of baking back in the day. Would stay up and bake. And then um, quit retail because it really wasn't making me happy. Started babysitting. That was great. My dad wasn't having it though. He gave me so much shit. And this was like, um, and then Makoto was opening. And I was so tired of him giving me shit that I went to Makoto and I said, well, I'm looking for a job. I need to be back. This is what I know how to do. I've been in a restaurant before. I've done some serving. I've done this. And now they hired me as a hostess. And I went to my dad with my thick star restaurant paperwork right. and my all my feistiness. And I like threw it at him. I'm like, fine, I got a job again in a restaurant. <laughs> and then I never left. Right. I did um, found a house. Then I did some serving. Then it's a floor managing, which I loved. But I found myself, and it became very clear to me when I was, like, managing the floor. That I would always, like, you know, like... And it was back in the era, not back in the era, but back in the time where, like, chefs were really allowed to, like, throw, like, massive tantrums. And sometimes, like, we would just go back there and, like, why couldn't the food just come out, you know? And I'd get so frustrated. And then I would find myself, like, just being like, give me the gloves. I got this. This stupid salad. Like, why can't we get this out? I have this table on me. And um, I just found myself over and over just gravitating towards the kitchen and the kitchen and wanting to cook. And I always, you know, like, even when I was little and we didn't have – our parents were working, I would be like, okay, Andrea, you want to eat fried chicken? I think this is the way people cook fried chicken. <laughs> and, like, would would do it. Um and it was a uh, it was a little bit scary for me because I was like nineteen, making very you know a salary already, a floor manager, and it kind of tied in my love for clothes and my love for service because right. I always had like these were like when we had to wear heels for service. Like if you were a floor manager, you couldn't wear like you had to wear heels, you know. And um, then I just took the leap again and I said no, you know this is what I want to do. I took a pay cut. I went to be a $12 an hour employee and then I never left the kitchen and here yeah, I am interesting you know I started um, back back in the day at an Applebee's you know how long were you at Panera Bread? in total like a year and a half between like the Panera Bread back in Coral Springs and the Panera Bread back in Miami it's interesting I feel like that those experience like that experience taught me a lot oh I a lot look back at it all the time I'm like in a Panera bed. Yeah. They did this very differently. They had they said step one, step two, out. Step three, step four, gone. Like, I'm like, this is like the way when you yeah, want to. I mean, they've studied. They're efficient. They're, yeah. you know, I mean, that is, especially when you're younger, like you don't really realize it, but like that, it's invaluable information that I learned. And I, I started in the front of the house also. You know, I started as. A host, server, bar back, bartender, bar manager, expediter. Then I went to 
dishwashing and then the fry cook didn't come and then I started frying stuff and making blondies and all kinds of shit and I was like you know I, I we we had no money so like I needed a job and um and I did that for a long time and that stuff it really did teach me a lot about at least like the grind not necessarily like the food but like the grind of a restaurant uh and how I was never a great student um but as soon as I walked into a restaurant, I felt completely at home. Yeah. I felt like that's where I belonged. And it's, I don't know if it was the culture or the people. Like, I've always loved, like, the restaurant, like, so multicultural, so many different types of personalities. Like, that's, I love that. You know, like, you learn so much, you experience so much, and it's just, like, I think you grow up maybe a little faster because at a young age you were experiencing things that, you know, I mean, you just meet so many people, you know, and, and I'll never like that experience was huge for me. I say it all the time. And then obviously, like the competitor in me was like, I just want to be like, I want to do more and I want to do more. And then, you know, I started cooking for real. And I was like, then I want to be like the best cook in the kitchen. And I want to be the best line cook. I want to be the fastest. I want to be the cleanest. And it's like, and then that just kind of really has snowballed over the last 17 years to, I guess, today. But I don't know. I, I It's interesting when I talk to kids that, and they come and apply for jobs, and obviously, like, we're a fine dining restaurant, so, like, their resumes got no, like, um, journey years is what I call them. Like, the years that you journey through the industry or just life to, like, figure out what it is, what it really is going to be, and it's always been, like, a stash here and a stash here and a stash here, and then I worked here and then I worked here. It's like, I don't know. I don't know if they really match us. Um, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, but you know, I, I think that some of those people will like grow up faster, especially in the kitchen. You know, it's just like, I remember one of my first kitchen jobs was at a steakhouse and I worked with this guy named Johnny Radcliffe and he was an old grill cook. I mean, at that time I was like 22 maybe. And, um, he... It must have been in his mid to late 50s, maybe. And he had just been working the grill for like 20 years. And I started off, like, they didn't want to hire me because I didn't have a ton of, like, kitchen experience. So I literally started off, like, handing people warm plates from, like, the plate warmer, right? And, um, you know, Johnny was, like, super cool dude. And broilers, it was, like, four large broilers okay. in the steakhouse. And then there was four large ones and then one that we called the short bus because it was tiny. And um, the guy didn't show up. And I was like, I had been sitting there, you know, pretty much handing people plates for like three months. And I was like, I got this. I can do it. I had no fucking idea what I was walking into, right? Like lamb chops, fillets, <laughs> beef tips, ribeyes, like the whole nine, you know, tomahawks. And I was like, fuck it, I got it. And then Johnny sat there and he coached me the whole service. And we became like super tight homies. And I'll never forget like that, that experience for me uh, was like my first real like cooking. Like I really got in there and like cooked like real food, not like Applebee's food, you know. And um, it's it was like the simplest form of food. But I honestly, I would say in my career, I've worked a grill station more than I've worked anything else some reason i don't know they're always like yeah we need a grill guy i'm like no i can do it that's cool you know or we need like 
a meat butcher, I'm like, yeah, I could do that. Got it. I mean, I learned that at like, you know, butcher all beef there, everything. It's interesting how all that kind of like the journey got me from one thing to the next. And, um, I'll never forget that shit. It's important forever. So, okay. Makoto, how old were you then? 19. 19. How old are you now? A good old 30. 30. (laughs) You've reached the third. 31 in November. In November? Yeah. Yeah, you've reached the third floor. Welcome. Thank you. It's It's a good time. It's a good time. I'm a big fan of the third floor. The, um... When I remember when Itame, the first iteration of Itame was what, three years ago? Mm-hmm. Yeah, three years ago. I think three and a half or. So, talk to me about maybe like, 2018. I'm not sure. So maybe mm-hmm. four. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to me that makes sense, right? This has been open for six, so I think I first met you when that opened. So tell me about that experience. Because, I mean, Itume, for me, was kind of like wildfire, right? In my mind, there's a lot of restaurants that open and that have a lot of talk and hype, but there's very few that keep and then grow. Itume was that, right? Like, you guys did what you did, and it just it grew. Well, Itamai was never meant for Nando and I. It was always meant for my dad mm. because we wanted him to have a little counter. It's his dream till now. Yeah. He wants nothing to do with what, because he knows his, what what he can handle, you know? And um, the people from St. Rock Market had approached me about a um, a little, like, healthy concept and I was too scared to take the leap financially. So then I, you know, I was like, hey, but are you guys looking for a sushi concept? Because my dad, my dad's the best. So I set them up. My dad made a platter for them and they said, okay, we'll do it. Um, I was working for Mike Solomonoff at the time. I had no intention of leaving. Nando was um, really focused on music at the time. And of course, like any food hall, I'm sure you've uh, you've got a little taste of it. They said, "Well, we're opening next week on a Thursday." I learned my lesson. Yeah. I was um, in North Carolina with Mike working a food and wine event. You know, obviously, Nando. I think no matter what, you know, my brother and I have always been very clear. Like, no one gets left behind, even where when we are at our angriest at each other, or you know, disappointed or upset. Um, you know, so. You know, we got on the phone like, Nando, you, um, you're going to go with dad or what? <laughs> um, so he's like, yeah, all right, I'll, I'll take my weekend off. I'll go help him. None of the dishes had ever been made. Ever. It was, I mean, some of them my dad had dabbled in, but truly none of them had really had any structure. <laughs> and um, so Nando went. They opened up with Demo. Um, the three of them got crushed. And I would say I had been going there. Like, I love organizing. So I had been going already to, like, check that, like, my dad had things to get, like, be organized and everything that I thought I could help him in. And then so I happened to be with Mike in North Carolina for food and wine. And we do this amazing dinner with Sean Brock. And 
at the end one of the most like craziest days of my life because you know I was making pita at the time I mean I was doing Dizengoff and Federal but you know bread has always been something very that I've always been very curious about but I've just been I'm terrible at it <laughs> right except Me for too. pita like I I kind of learned how to handle it with all the trials and errors you know um he takes me there to make pita in this wood fire the the husk oven <laughs> like I never cooked with like real wood like that and and bread and um you know I was very stressed because we usually you know pita was like a three-day process and now we were doing it in a one-day process and I you don't want to look like the asshole in general with with my real boss with somebody I admire like Sean and very nervous I'm at the end of the shift he sits me down and you know tells shares with me that um they're going to close all the businesses in South Florida and that um, my job as a sous chef was ready for me in Philly and Zahaf. I remember, I vaguely kind of remember the story, yeah. And um, we were like in a room where like Abraham Lincoln had, had, we would just finish dinner where like Abraham Lincoln had eaten, I don't even know, it was like very, a very special dinner. And um, it was like instantaneous. I didn't really even think about it. The first thing, you know, we had a whole weekend to go. And the first thing I said to him, was like, hey, I got to go back to Miami. Because he was like, we're going to close on Sunday. <laughs> and this was like a Thursday. Um, and I said, I got to go back to Miami. But it clicked for me, like, no, thank you. Um, but I'm going to just go be with my family. And, 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 um, and then I went. I showed up. And I was it was perfect timing. I mean... Itamai had only operated maybe five days. Yeah. So I came home. I went through the whole process of um, disconnecting with with that <coughs> experience I had, and just went right back to work. And I was super excited. And Nando decided to stay around because we obviously couldn't leave my dad alone. Pop check. And uh, and then Nando and I just kind of started taking over all the things you know my dad's like no I don't want to make mayo this way and we're like no we're gonna like bring the peppers and I was always super focused like for me it was all about the sauces right like that was my focus like everything that we did about the sauces Nando was always about the quality of the fish and like the technique of everything um and then we just stay there yeah yeah you did you know and essentially move my dad out of the way <laughs> <laughs> um and then that was it. And then we pushed and we pushed and then we pushed. Um, we went through really crazy hours and times and, yep. you know, and then here we are. <laughs> so how long, um, how long was it in St. Rock? I think a year and a half. So from opening, I was there part of the team every day. Um, so COVID, and then I did that's all the it. World Central Kitchen stuff. Thankfully, yeah, that's that right. helped us out tremendously. Um, had COVID not happened, I already knew, like working upstairs, that like I I love cooking in a hot kitchen. Yeah, like I love saute. Like that is like my favorite fucking station. You know, I like to be, like, dripping sweat and, like, making angry faces because it's so hot in my face. And, like, 
that's my favorite station. So I was already struggling with the fact that I was, um, I never wanted to be a sushi chef, you know? Yeah, it was, it was just in a, my, uh, the my, moment. Yeah, I think one day Nando looked at me and said, um, do you see how many rolls we're selling? You know, why the hell don't you make any of these rolls? <laughs> I'm like, well, well, it was also very different because the station that we had set up did all the ceviches, all the tiraditos, and we also garnished every single roll. It yeah. wasn't like also a walk in the park, you know, but but you can get people to make that a lot easier than we could get people to make sushi at the time you know so um i did it and but you know it was always in the back of my head like when am i it's still always in the back of my head like when am i going to cook the food that i it's like i love cooking that food too but when is it like i would always think like when is it that i'm gonna be able to express myself outside of this sushi world you know right um hot food and then covid happened crazy time we were able to, you know, be connected with amazing talent like Dede Nico. And it just worked out that it was a perfect time for me to um, leave. Not leave. <laughs> like, they were basically, it was so obvious that, you know, I think that it was just better that way for me to go chase whatever it is that I needed to. And then... Um, so when uh, Itamai... Uh, a year and a half or whatever. When did B-Side open? So B-Side is... B-Side opened like six months. After? Yeah. No, maybe like a year, maybe a year. I did I did an event at B-Side. I know. That was fun. I'm going to do one with Ashley and Manny. Cool. I'm I love excited. that. I, I think that um, that was a really fun experience for me. Because that's not food that I know anything about. Like, yeah. I, I, just, I think I, that's I the exciting it. part of doing the alternative takes, right? That like... Like people that have never done sushi and then now they get to make their own rolls and they get to make and I find that special um, so B-Side open because one of the things that obviously became very apparent is that all of us could not live and sustain and we've made the bare minimum forever Michael like it's still till this day you know um, out of one business right you know um, so when B-Side open we saw it as opportunity Nando went first you know, and then it was obvious that the people in Wynwood really didn't... It's locate, like, you know, it's the, the place, they, too. You know, yeah. I um, mean, it's more of like a party-ish uh, food hall. I would say it's the most party-ish yeah. food hall, for sure. So then, uh, you know, we, we, we've had all those back and forths, you know, when, when we had those conversations of, like, it was always very apparent that... Itamai was never going to be Itamai without Nando. You know, you needed someone like him behind the sushi bar, as passionate, as talented as he is, to really help us get to the next level, you know? Right. So then we made the switch again, and then we sent my dad over there. <laughs> <coughs> um, and that's it. It's, you know, and then, I mean, it was a, it was a tough after COVID was a tough year, you know, getting out of my five-year relationship and going through all the motions of what it is that I want to cook, um, losing a lot of control. Like, you know, I, I had gained a whole bunch of weight. I, I, I wasn't exercising. I wasn't doing anything that truly made me happy. 
And then so, and that was kind of how it happened. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say Itamai, the current rendition, which Itamai moved from a food hall to uh, basically like an open air area, mm-hmm. right? Just downstairs, which is probably one of the best things that's happened. That's been over a year now, right? A year and a half. Yeah. And, you know, I think that from my view, it's obviously thrived. Uh but I, I think there's so much left for it to do. You know, like, there's just so much more I think that you guys are capable of doing. Just need a bigger space. I think we're close. We're very close. You know, now that I have even a lot more clarity in my own head, like, I realize, like, yes, B-Side is in the environment that it is. A very difficult for sure I mean you share you share a box with somebody yes yeah but now I have the clarity that we can also make that into something very special B-side yes yeah I mean you've done it before so why not do it again you know it's and that's um, not to say not to take anything away from what it's been because I I think that there uh, I probably have dined at B-side more than I have at uh, my just because of where it's at. So I've spent a good amount of time there. And, I mean, it's always been delicious and great. Oh, no, I am... We are very lucky, you know, for the team that we have now. When we've had there, they they're, they always try. Um, Julie and Chris. Um, but it's also feeling that, like, I think it could go a little further as well. I don't think we have to limit it to this. But, you know, in that, it's come... The conversations for me have been like, all right, well, then block off my schedule for the next four or five months. Right, foreseeable future. Don't book me for anything else. Don't talk to me about another business opportunity. Like, Because that's the side people don't ever see, right? Like, No one does. That's the side that people are just like, oh, Val's not there, or... Or you're here, you're there. And then I'm like, yeah, because we're also trying to open, you know, the arena may look simple, but it's not simple at all. Oh, I mean, how many people uh, go to that arena for every game? You know, the most is 19,000. I mean, that's but, a lot But, you know, of, you're running three outlets. <laughs> like, three oh, that's outlets. Right. It's, uh, we do the suites, Bacardi, and we do the 100. I know that. That was great that um, we actually had our Christmas party. Christmas party. That's right. And uh, that was definitely the best food we had at the Christmas party because we had other stuff not so great. And I mean, like to get be able to get that in an, an arena is pretty fucking amazing in, yeah. in my book because I know logistically how difficult all of that can be, right? Michael had a hot box on fire yesterday, like, <laughs> which might have been the last game of the season. Hopefully not, but. It, like, th- so many things happen. So many things happen. I mean, Raya has transformed, you know, to the, the start of this. You know, I started the season saying, no, I'm not going to, like, make a big batch of, like, Tayarin Saltao. It's not with me, you know. 
Like, I'm never going to do that to then being like, I will absolutely make you the best, biggest batch of tahiri <laughs> saltao you can get, you know? But I know that it's good food, that it's quality ingredients, that there's love that goes behind it, you know? But it's, so it's like that balance that, I, that, that a lot of people, the business side, that a lot of people don't get to see, which is like, all right, well, if I'm going to do this with B-side, I'll do it. <laughs> but there's no dinners anywhere else. There is no traveling to anything. There is, um, there's just nothing else. Yeah. There's nothing else but this. Like, am I sure I'm going to do this? You know, and I've had to talk with the staff there and we've like made a blood pact that we want to do this. They want to do this. You know, I've, I've always been easy on the gas. We're like, you know, the people that have a salary there, just 45, 50 hours. Because I do think that is a good lifestyle. You know, I also don't, I don't encourage the 60 plus hours. I do not, unless absolutely necessary. Um, but before we made this decision to really like reinvent B-side, I had a very clear conversation, you know, um, about this. And they seem to be game for right. it. I'm, I'm in a good place for it. But, you know, that also, you know, I also get worried where I'm like, don't. Don't don't look for Val for anything, for anything, you know, because that's that's I've learned too that that's how things slip, yeah, and get through because you're like here I'm there I'm there I'm gonna do this I'm, you know like what happened yesterday is I literally um, didn't I had uh, five people which is um, five people is a good place to place to run uh, Raya. And with myself, we were sick, so I said, you know what, let me just go upstairs, check on my dad. We've gotten in a good system, too. Um, make sure everything's good, just say hello. And by the time I came down, I just see smoke. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. what's happening? And, um, you know, we use Sternos. Yeah. I've never been a catering chef, but I have learned. Yeah, you got to learn. I've learned the past eight months the little tricks we can do out here. And, um, like, two and three or, like, yeah, two or three sternos had flipped over. And, obviously, the gas, the oil started coming out. Oh, man. And because you already have so many sternos in there. That's mortifying. And I'm like, oh God, if like, if like the alarm goes off, I'm like, it's over for me, you know, and, and just like seeing my, like people who have also never been in this world, you know, because right now I'm running it with like staff from B-side as well. I'm just like, look guys, let's just make it through the end. Um, And they're like trying to close these things or like create some sort of like, guys, no, give me like four water bottles and just like, just pouring and just taking a guess because I'm like, I hope this turns it off and I hope this just doesn't escalate this. And, um, you know, and, and you, you, this was just me going upstairs. Man. This is just me going upstairs. Yeah, I mean, it, it often fascinates me like how quickly things can go south. And it's like from one day to the next, from one hour to the next, it's just like, you leave service like, oh, everything's cool, and then you can leave, and then you get a recap that, like, the world ended, and it's so fast. Like, our business is so fast, you yeah. know, and it's like, since we do have to coach so many 
younger, inexperienced people, uh, they oftentimes don't know what to do. You know, and I think that that's where like the pressure really like starts yeah. to load in for them. But so random question because I'm not sure when when there are other events other than sporting events you guys also open yes for concerts for concerts cool well now we've learned to we don't have a choice when it comes to heat games of course but um, we do have a choice when it comes to um, concerts and you pick and choose yes cool that's cool so I guess now all three outlets are open and doing their thing what do you see as a future for for the foreseeable future I'm, I'm just gonna focus on b that's not answering my question as a company though oh as a company I think there's so many internal changes that we're going through mm-hmm that it's hard for like to really have an expectation, you know. HMI really needs to. We need to figure out spacing. Yeah. You know, before you can say this is the ultimate, like we're at its peak potential, you know. As as you know, so it's seen that. Um, but I think we'll continue to grow, you know, and at a. At a fair pace now, you know, at a fair pace. And uh, the mainly, the biggest thing I think I see is that, like, we're all getting closer to a space or a place where all of us are doing something we're very happy, happy with. Yeah. You know, my dad is doing Bacardi and, you know, I'm hoping he decides to take some time off once the season's done. He's crushed it. But I think that's something doable for him. You know, he goes, he likes to go shopping for all his, all his things. He likes to, like, carry stuff. He's actually injured right now because he went to carry a 100-pound bag of rice. Right. Um, he hasn't been able to get out of bed. His back is killing him. Um, so I think we're getting closer to that space where, you know, everybody's doing getting closer to doing exactly what um, what they love without feeling some sort of sacrifice, right, for the other person. Well, I think you sacrifice so much early on so you can get to that place. You know, it's like, all right, now everybody should be at a... We all should be happy, somewhat happy. How do you feel? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited. Um... I'm I'm a mix between like wanting to open like a little market <laughs> to like going on and having like a complete Criollo restaurant. Like some days I'm like I just love you know I I also love cooking healthy and 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 doing you know I'm very passionate like about all that too. Mm-hmm. So I go in between both. Interesting. I, yeah. It's an interesting place to like live within. To like love that kind of food and then love the other kind of food too because they don't totally coincide no they don't coincide at all but I, I you know what I've learned now is like instead of um, 
And this is why I'm, I've chosen to go back to B-Side because instead of talking about all these p- potential spaces that will eventually come, I just have to focus on what's in front of me. And that is it. I never like really get jacked up about a thing until it's like a real thing. Right. It's like, oh, well, there's, you know, we're, we're signing this lease for like this project that'll be ready in like a year and a half out of, my, out of sight, out of mind. Correct. This is what's in front of me, right? Like this is what's in front of me right now. Yeah, I mean, on the business owner like side, I like to make sure that we've like really exhausted every opportunity to make sure is this like the right move. But until it becomes real on an operational level, like we're, you know, six months out, we're five months out, it's not real for me. And that's the only like space that I've learned. <clears throat> that I can actually operate because <coughs> I worked on Chugs the way that Chugs is now for the better part of like two and a half years, right? And then other things that now are coming into fruition that are still six months out, I was working on back then also. But like I wasn't going to shift my focus completely until like unless it came to working on CAD files and like where things are supposed to be and yeah I can make a semblance of a menu but a menu I made two and a half years ago is not a menu that I'm going to make today but this is kind of like the style of food so I kind of understand how I like to cook and how I want us to cook so these are kind of the things that I know we need but until it becomes real and like tangible and like I'm standing in a space with like a floor right and it's not just dirt like Laurel I've been working on forever I mean, this is like pre-COVID that we were negotiating that deal. And now we're getting to a a real space that like my chef that has worked for me for two years and I hired her two years ago where she's now shifting major focus within her day to do those things. And now it's becoming more real. Yeah. You know, and that's okay. And you just have to like, I don't know, like when you become a restaurateur and things happen. You have to learn how to compartmentalize all your thoughts and, like, your energy. Because if not, you're going to be left with absolutely fucking nothing at the end of the day, right? So... You know how many, like, lease offers or, like, project offers we, like... I'm exhausted of that. I'm like, let me know when it's signed, completed. It's ours. We can walk in it. Until then, I don't want to entertain much of the... Not, I, like... I'm not boxing myself either, you know, but I don't want to like, sometimes you you get caught in like the space and look and this and that. Oh. And then you start imagining and you, and you spiral out of control. You're like, I can't wait to put this there. I can't wait to put that. And then they're like, oh my God, somebody came in and put a bigger offer than you and it's out of you. Yeah. Um, Especially in the market that we're in today. So I'm just like, listen, I'm going to just uh, focus with what's in front of me do the best that I can what's in front of me and then as the other opportunities will come they'll they'll show themselves and then we'll figure out then yeah I mean it's a it's a really interesting space too because like I talk to a lot of people like us and what I mean like us people that own an outlet or a couple of outlets or whatever and you know people do throw stuff your way all the time and it's like I'm I'm really difficult at that 
first initial offer, right? Because I'm very brash and I just tell people the fucking truth. Like, I don't have time for this. If you are fucking with me, right? Then don't waste my fucking time. You know, like, this needs to be real. If you really want to talk about, like, talk business, people already kind of know the shit that we expect. So these are the kind of things that we expect. And the hardest thing for, I think, also people like us, because, you know, creative and you want to like be able to spread like your food and the things that you do to the world you get very excited by that also business i feel like is pretty exciting yes of course um you know like i've i've learned a lot to say no i'm good man you know i we were talking about a deal and i've you know, I'm learning from a friend who's a financial advisor. And I'm kind of learning to, like, not to really just go through all the numbers really internally myself without yeah. anybody else telling me anything, just myself. And um, and making those deals the best deals. Like, there was a deal that, they were, that they've been talking to me about. And, and I just, I've learned to say this is the bottom line for me. Yes, it's a good split, but beyond that split, this is what Val needs to make. This is what Val wants to walk out, you know, as a whole deal. Yeah. And to either we can meet there or I can just simply walk away and say, thank you so much. This is not, you know, because now, you know, I value my time. I look at like, I'm like, all right, how, long, how many months is that project going to take us? Ten? I'm going to have to focus this for ten months. What does it mean financially to me? I don't want to do it for this much money. I want to do it for this much money. Right. Is it only makes sense for me? And like when before, I used to just get carried away with the idea of all the things that I could do, and like just like the excitement of just putting out a menu that I was super excited about, and it was going to be so good because so many people were going to eat it, and like just that excitement, you know. Where now I've toned it down more to like really just like on a piece of paper, break down month to month, like really what it what best case scenario means and just not like underselling myself my brother my dad eric demo to eat to my company for like i you know i and you learn these hard lessons by doing like you know well the romance ends yes i think we've lived <laughs> like it's way over i'm like pay me i want to buy more shoes <laughs> you don't want to pay me I'm out. <laughs> I, I, I think like the romance at the beginning is beautiful and I think it's important. And I think like me, I'm also like an ultra romantic about like the shit that we do. Um, but I'm also like a shark, you know, and I've learned because I've been burned too many times. And I just like and that's why I tell people all the time, you ever have questions you don't know about. We are always here to help because like I don't things that happen to me I want to make sure don't happen to people I care about or people in our position and also like for me I know the people on the other side of the stick here aren't being romantic about a lease yeah. you know they're just trying to make their bread and that's cool but I've already I've built like we're built yeah. to be like nah man we're good it's yeah. okay you think you're gonna work us over it's fine I fear about you know other people and um, like the romance still being very real and I understand that feeling so much like I understand it and I feel it and I remember it like it was yesterday I just um, back then you don't know how to say no 
because you don't necessarily know your own worth at that point. But once you learn it, I think it's a very important and telling time. You know, I think it was like a big turning point in my life. Like when I just say, started saying, nah, I'm good. You want to come to, no, we had this conversation on the phone. They're talking about like doing events and when people want to come, want you to come and do an event be like, this is how much it costs for me to come and do an event. Yeah. I'm cool. I'll do it. It's how much it costs just for me to go. And then there's other stuff on top of that too. Yeah. And remember when we had the conversation, I mean, it went both of our ways when we had that conversation. And I think that that's really important because you have to know your worth and how important you are and how special your talent is. And there's so many people like us too that I don't necessarily think know it yet. And they should, you know. But Yeah, it's just no, a- now I'm at, I'm at that point in my, my career where I'm like, nah. Amen. <laughs> you got me the yeah. first time. That was great. But not, not interested in doing it. Like, I would rather be with, with my staff doing what we need to do now. Right. Than, than doing this. So let me ask you, what are what do you feel? I have, like, very intense feelings about this. What do you feel about kind of, like, the progress that we've seen over the last five to seven years within the dining scene that we live within? You know, like, I, I feel like we've seen exponential growth. We obviously lived, like, a very fucked year. And I, we still live repercussions from that. Um, but, like, I've seen a lot of, like, incredible growth, right? And a lot of special... I think people... I had this conversation with... Um, I think uh, you guys are also going to be in the article because the guy, uh, Travel and Leisure or whatever. <laughs> and he asked me, like, you know, what do you see out of Miami for the last few years? And I said, you know, I think you're seeing the outcome of several people grinding for a very long time and being very good at their job and then now maybe they have their own place maybe they just had their own place but the only difference is the eyeballs that are on it right Mm -hmm. like Miami has been doing very Miami and good things for quite a while but I think the difference now is people are starting to pay attention and you know it's a testament to like what you guys have done what's happened here you know other people you know the boy days of the world the zitsums of the world (laughs) you know people like Giorgio that Giorgio's been around for a a long time um but opening a second location and doing very well in his second location and getting like really great outcome from that what do you think about that it's amazing (laughs) we've talked about this it's great great I mean it's you know I told this to Michael last time I saw him I will never forget the day Michael's open yeah I will never forget that day I will never forget when Sugar Cane opened mm-hmm. like I those are things that, like I will never forget there was another restaurant that I that I just like the excitement of feeling like we were getting something really cool and special and, and, and different and and that our city was growing and for for people from my from my time, you know, I mean so I think like I I I love it. I mean 
I think we're all so special and I think everybody who's coming down are also special like I truly for instance like I admire the people from Co. like I truly do you know and I remember like when they were about to open everyone you know not everyone but a lot of people were like oh they're from Red like here we go you know the same like Miami attitude that we always carry in our in our like the chip in our shoulders that we always have you know here oh, we go i got it another I'm transplant aware. coming yeah. here with their bullshit getting a really big spot and all this money and that you know but then you get to meet them and you realize that they care the same way we do hmm. and that they're so supportive that they also like do their best to support the local talent and to like any connection that they can to connect and 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 it's a bridge you know between maybe a type of customers that we weren't gonna ever really get to that quickly but they're helping us build that bridge you know like i think it's amazing i think there's i don't think that they're all quite created that equal no but i think it doesn't matter like i think that's just like the way the business goes right you have people who are who are just all about them and them and them and then you have some people who want to be part of a community that want to be you know integrated and feel yeah i mean of all the transplants i think simon kim and his team have are definitely pretty amazing people i think that they're and not only that i mean their product speaks for itself i mean i think they do good really really good work and i think that they're food i mean i haven't been there in a while but their service has always been top notch like they just they really really give a fuck i don't quite think everyone's like that but i do think that that place specifically is very much like that you yeah know? i'm excited i think there's so much good food i still only go to the same places or no places i'm consistent i don't really change yeah. <laughs> i mean i think the growth that we're seeing is like pretty visceral like it's it's um hard and fast for sure you know yeah. we're, i mean in the grove like six years ago when we opened here like there was nothing here it was a fat tuesday still um and it was like um i remember six years ago people would tell me like there's no way you'll make it in the grove right like that food no one's gonna eat that food and i was like fuck it i mean talk about romance i was like we're we're gambling it all now we're gonna see what the fuck happens and you know thankfully we're blessed that through a lot of trials and tribulations like we've we're still here but um it's been interesting the last like two years to see the growth of just this part of the city itself i mean this part of the city has grown i mean just like chokes you know like that whole courtyard that whole thing that's there um all of Coco good old akashi yeah akashi, akashi's <laughs> back well akashi's back now across the street bigger right i don't know I don't know. I, I don't know. Well, then it was. Yeah, yeah. I mean, much bigger than what it was. Um, so I think the growth is going to be interesting to feel it out and see um, how it all shakes out. But I really do feel confident about like the future and, and where we're going. So, well, Nick, man, Nick, you have been so quiet. I, I don't think that you've really had much need for me over there. I mean, are you okay? I'm. You know, I'm working through some things. Are you? Yeah, you know. Are you editing Liberated Podcast right now? Like we're on this right now? Finding a way to to make sense of, of your episode, yeah. <laughs> I'll see you're one of my, like, 
top Instagram accounts that I like to like see the stories is that you're always on some shit. Oh, There's always things <laughs> I actually like whenever you post the scammers, I sit down. I'm like, hold on, I need to pay attention. Oh, hold to on, this. The, the t- this text is too small and there's too much of it. I need to. Yeah. yeah, I mean, for, for the people who don't follow Nicholas Jimenez uh, on Instagram, it's a very good follow. Um, Nick has made it a point now to uh, publicize all of his scammer texts. That's right, yeah. All my interactions with uh, with scammers, who I assume are like in China or India or something. Somewhere somewhere <laughs> far, far away. Right. Definitely not in Hylia, that's for sure. Um, right. And uh, Nick has also been uh, sharing a lot of uh, the newest uh, podcast, the Liberty right. podcast from the, the Dave yeah. platform, right. which I was actually fortunate enough to be invited to be a guest. Uh, you're a blessed man, Michael. And uh, I, I hope that... Uh, really the peak of your... This is, this is your high point of your career. It took a hundred and whatever episodes to, to fine-tune me for that episode. Right. That was really the only reason we do Pancom Podcast was to prepare you yeah. for the Liberated Podcast. Pancom Podcast or Pancom Lechon? It's Pancom Lechon, apparently. It's Pancom Lechon. I it's, it's Pancom Lechon. almost died when she said this to me. Pancom I'm like, heard, I know you really think he's a Lechon, but oh, to me, yeah. I'm going to Pancom Podcast. It's Lechoncito over here. <laughs> I'm not mad at it. I'm not mad at it. I'm not at all. Um, well, I think we could start to do our wind down. Yes. Uh, this is where we do our wind down. We'll start with our parting recommendations. Cool. Everyone will recommend a thing that people should eat, read, watch, uh, do, a place they should go, whatever it might be. Uh, Val, do you want to uh, kick this off or do you want some time to like think about it? Uh, something to eat? Anything at all. Anything. Like it anything. Could be something that you watch. Yeah. It could be a book. It, it could, could be, be local. It could be elsewhere. It could it just, be on the internet. This just that she's listening to the podcast but never quite made it to the Yeah, end. you're going to talk into the other side of that thing. Sorry. This is, it's all new. This is all new equipment. It's new technology. Yeah, new equipment here. So you, you, you can start or you can give yourself some time while we recommend things, whatever you want to do. Uh, you, you recommend things. Oh. I'm like, what? Oprah? <laughs> you want to go? Sure. Um, so I've mentioned this person a, a bunch of times now on the podcast, but uh, I might have even recommended this song, but the video just came out for the song Forward by Cold Man, uh, which is the rap name of Coleman Hughes, uh, who is also the host of Conversations with Coleman, a podcast. Uh, Forward is very good. What have we got here? Schrodinger's MC. Whether I'm dead or alive, you gotta respect me. I'm tired of politics and I'm tired of press briefs and I'm tired of college kids with the try hard aesthetics. I learned less from college than from the wiki bin. And the video is very good. There's like a, an extended cameo with Neil deGrasse Tyson in it. Uh, so I'm recommending that. And also, uh, I'm recommending. Sorry, I, I, I gotta check to make sure that I get the name right. Mike, uh, I hope I'm not stealing this recommendation from you, but there is another Instagram account other than my own that people should check out. Uh, You are going on Instagram and looking for Brian Jordan Alvarez. Oh, no. I got another one, but that's good. That's a good one. Brian Jordan Alvarez is a Colombian-American actor who has had (laughs) roles on Will and Grace and other things. In, if you just go to that account and then go to his reels, yeah. 
He uses Good. all the like. I think it's primarily TikTok, and then he reposts them on Reels. But I'm not a TikTok person. The face filters are like do crazy stuff to your face. Each filter corresponds to a different character, and he has like this whole cinematic universe of like storylines with like a total through line. Like from a year ago, they started. One of them is uh, a Latin chef who specializes in onions and garlic, uh, and it's incredible. It is. What about the potato guy? Right. Well, his. It, What's his name? Brian. Jordan Alvarez, all yeah. one thing. Brian Jordan Alvarez. Uh, yeah, uh, this chef's uh, latest project, you know, uh, is he is uh, opening a potato restaurant in Florida. Uh, he knows that you have been, uh, he is in the past in his career focused on garlic and onions, but right now he's a little bit more focused on potatoes. <laughs> he does sound like that. It's amazing. So good. He, he, once, he, he once picked a potato in a marsh that was sitting next to an alligator. <laughs> So I know what you're wondering. You're all saying, where is the onion? Where is the garlic? In this day, it's a different kind of day because I am opening a potato restaurant in Florida. I'm not going to tell you which city, but it is probably your favorite one. Don't let anybody ever tell you that you can't make anything you want with potato because you can make anything you want with potato. You can make bread with potato. You can make potato with potato. You can make mashed potato, obviously. So yeah, Brian Jordan Alvarez on Instagram is my, my other recommendation. Uh, Mike will let uh, she might still be figuring hers out. Yeah, I got it. Um, so my two recommendations: one is an Instagram account of a gentleman that has very short films. They they're usually around ten to fifteen seconds, and all he does is he dresses pretty much the same way. He has a fabulous mustache, glasses, mustache. and it's a mustache, mustache. and uh, and a wonderful hat. And he puts himself in like very interesting situations just to flip the camera off. And his Instagram name is Sicky Dicky. Sicky Dicky. Uh, Sicky Dicky. Dicky Donnie. With IEs, right? Not whites. Yeah, with IEs. I, Sicky Dicky. And he is um, what I would call a uh, modern day legend. And I think he does really great work. It really will brighten up even the worst day. Uh, so that's one of my good uh, recommendations. The other is a movie more serious called The Best of Enemies and it's a um, uh, you've seen it? The documentary about uh, Corbidal and oh. Anna, Anna Atwater and C.P. Ellis. Oh, no. It's it's a different movie, same name. Okay. And um, basically uh, I'll just give you a quick summary. It's essentially... Anna Atwater was an activist, and C.P. Ellis was the president of the KKK in a certain part of North Carolina, I don't recall. And uh, one of the uh, African-American schools had had a fire, and this was the beginning of integration uh, of African-American schools and all-white schools uh, in... um, I guess North Carolina, I don't know if there was in other parts of the country, and they did this thing called a charrette. Have you heard of that? Charrette, and it's basically like um, basically like a town hall meeting and vote, which is basically to take the kids from one school to integrate them into another. And the evolution of this is basically someone who was the president of the KKK and a very hardcore african-american activists and how they became best friends and they had a friendship for 45 plus years 
after this happened. And I had never heard of the movie before, and I just kind of put it on because I was like, yeah, I'm tired. I'm probably going to fall asleep. I'll fall asleep in this. And I stayed up for all two and a half hours of the movie. And it was great. And, uh, you know, the actors are awesome. Really, uh, I don't remember their names, their actual names, but uh, I recommend it for anyone. Your turn. Um, I don't know, man. I'm really not. Give me any. I recommend everybody listen to Super Soul Sundays. Super Soul Sundays? Yes. Have you ever listened to one? No. What is it? So it's Oprah's shows. Oh. She also does podcasts. And obviously she brings on the best of the best, you know, um, to come and talk to you about what the hell is wrong with all of us. And, we haven't um, been invited yet, so I don't know. Uh, there's too much wrong with us. <laughs> That's true. It's kind of the only thing I'm, I'm like really. No, but like food, like what? Oh, like, food! I don't know. I, I don't know. What's Listen, the, I know, I know, I know that you like to order delivery. Like, what's your favorite thing to order? Random things. It could be whatever. Yeah. I don't ever order delivery. Isn't that weird? Ever? Ever? You know where the only place I order delivery from? B-side to check how it's arriving and how are the food maintaining this is a very serious thing wow that was like very intense I'm scared but I got Um, it what would you say is the what's the last thing that you ate that you found yourself wanting to tell somebody about it that you got I just had today oh that's cool I like that yes like I I took that first bite and I'm like fuck that was great yeah like that was um very unexpected for me um and just like right up how i like food had a little acidity had richness um i yeah it was amazing great thank you sorry i'm not like you did great um, i'm I'm loving formula one oh yeah well, after going through the experience of working there, I needed to see why the fuck people love it so much. Oh, yeah? I don't get it. So I had to watch it. Um, I don't get why people actually go to it in that temperature. Unless it's like a beautiful fall day that you're not in like crazy heat and you can truly enjoy it. Understandable. But like in the pure... Like I don't understand how anybody in Miami paid what they paid to be just the blazing hot just on you you know um so i started watching the show there's so many rules to it i what never show, knew formula one in netflix oh i've seen that and i have not watched it there's so many rules like i always thought like okay like whenever they're doing the turns and if they crash fog it you know that's just part of the game but it's really not like, they take that shit super serious. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of people take it super serious. When I was on a plane back from D.C., there was somebody traveling from Baltimore coming here, and she was a huge Formula One fan. Like, she was all decked out in the Formula One stuff. Oh. Hat, shirt. Well, not not just the people. I guess I was talking about, like, the inside of them. Like, I thought, like, when race car drivers, like, obviously, you know, it's like being in the kitchen. You might burn yourself or cut, cut you know, cut a piece of your finger off. It's, yeah. just, it's what it is, right? And you get to a point where you're kind of like, oh, you could, like, you know, it's funny, like when you, when like somebody, for the first time they cut their finger off a mandolin, 
Oh, man. And you're just like, oh, my God. You're fucking fine, man. Nothing's going to happen to you. Like, that shit bleeds forever. But just put the fucking shit on it. Close it up. Nobody cares anymore because we're so used to it, right? Right. <laughs> and the person's like, but the tip of my thumb is gone. You're like, yeah, yeah it's going to come. It might come back. might not come back. We can go get you to get, take stitches. But if we go get stitches, your your finger's going to be deformed. So what do, you, what do you want? Like a square tip? Or like a really deformed tip. So let's pick here wisely, right? Like we come, <laughs> I love that you've had this we, conversation with somebody. Yeah. You know, and so um, it was the same thing I thought about Formula One. Like, oh, I'm sure like crashes are like the drivers are so used to it and they're so like it's part of the of the grind. And I thought they like even incentivize it. Like just like be so good that even if the other fucking guy crashes, like forget it. It doesn't matter. You're that great. But it turns out no. They get really fucking pissed when these things happen. And, like, I didn't... You might sound like an idiot because I just didn't know anything about it. But, like, the amount of, like, the amount of safety protocols that they go through, I never knew. Never so would have guessed it. You're essentially recommending watching the Formula One show on Netflix. If you have some free time, watch it. Um, you know, I started... I also, like, watching, like, really weird, like, dramas. And I was... um watching the girl from Plainsville and you've seen it on Netflix it's about the girl who like whose boyfriend who had a lot of mental issues um committed suicide in a car by putting like a motor in it and locked himself up and I guess you know when the, the right. I don't know what that's called that comes out yes and choked himself basically <laughs> And but she was on the phone and she told him like do it yeah. She clearly also had um, a lot of issues, and uh, she got um, she went to she went to jail for this, and they um, they found her guilty of like involuntary uh, I don't manslaughter manslaughter. And I was watching that, but then I got then I then I then I got weird, you know. I'm like, damn, people have a lot of fucking issues. Yeah, I don't even want to leave my house again. And then I'm like, ah, I'll turn it off. Formula One, it is. Yeah, <laughs> you know. I'm going to uh, sort of related recommendation. If you live anywhere near a, uh, a racetrack that does NASCAR events, I'm not a NASCAR person. I've never watched NASCAR things, but a few years ago, uh, as part of a, a project I was doing for Cigar Snob Magazine, I uh, partook in what I think is called the NASCAR experience or something. And I, I was blown away that this is even, like, allowed. I went into it not knowing, not thinking he was going to be, like, all that interesting. I thought it was going to be, like, kind of a boring day. But they just, like, let you take a stock car onto the racetrack. You and, by yourself. Yeah. Like, there was nobody else in the car with me. And I'm driving this thing. I think it was, like, 140 miles an hour with other people on the track doing the same shit. Crazy. I would love to do that. Yeah. It, it, was, it was nuts. Like, if, if you have, if you find yourself able to go to, like, Daytona or something, or, you know, you're in Indianapolis or whatever. I did it in Daytona. And it was wild. It was like... I would love to do that. Yeah, when they, I, they give you the helmet. You have people... Because you're like... They tell you like, there's no rear view mirrors here. You are not allowed to look anywhere other than through the windshield. And we'll tell... That to me was the scariest thing was... They tell you like, we're going to tell you when to change lanes in your gear. Wow. Don't look around. Because the second you look around, you're going to fuck up and you're going to send this car into something. Just look forward. And when we tell you to move, you move. And you have to How'd trust you do? I survived. You well, know? you're still here. We're, well, yeah, no, no, not. but like, did you did you feel good? Did you feel? Oh like, no, it was incredible. It was like that's the, like I, I would love to do something like that. I, that's I didn't so think cool. I would like leave that wanting to tell anybody about it, and I'm still recommending it years later. 
I'm not a car cool. person. Like, it was super cool. Yeah, that is dope. Also, I'm if like, Michael has them, I just want everybody on record that Michael has committed to pick me up in a Cadillac to go with him in two weeks. Okay? <laughs> it's committed. He said this to me this morning. Oh, um, I just want to make sure that happens because... Yeah. Still trying to get a Cadillac right now. <laughs> I, in Orlando. In and Orlando. you're under the impression that saying it on Bangkok Podcast makes it more real? Um, yeah. No, I just want to hold him accountable. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's good. Um, all right. Well, I think now it's time for the lightning round. Well, shameless plugs. Let's do shameless. Oh, that's uh, right. That's right. Tell everybody where they can find you and your stuff on the internet and in the world and all that stuff. Whatever you want to plug, plug it here. Chifita Chang. Chifita Chang. Chifita Chang. Yeah. On Instagram. Yeah. On Instagram, yep. Yeah. E to my, my B-side. B-side, and Ryo. Got it. Anything else? That's it. Very good. Michael Beltran, shameless plugs. Enter, insert song. All the things. All the things. I still got to recommend all my shit. I mean, we've, yeah, we've done this 80 do times already. Nah, it's whatever. Yeah, all the things. All the things. No, <laughs> but who knows? Maybe people, are, more maybe people are coming here for the first time. But you know what? Fuck you. All the things. All the things. At this point, just all the things. You can find Pangong Podcast on all the social media things at Pangong Podcast. Not Pangong Lechong, not Panko Podcast, not Pumpkin Podcast. It's Pang. Podcast like a podcast sandwich, and uh, give us all your money at Patreon.com/slash DadeMag D A D E M A G. It's DadeMag.com/slash Pancom Podcast, um, and uh, follow Petey the Dog. We haven't given him a shout out here in a while. Oh. Petey the Dog is Petey the Dog P E A T Y like a Petey Scotch Petey the Dog on Instagram. That's where you get all of your nonstop Petey action. Now, for the lightning round. Thank you very much, Val. Thanks, Val, so much. Thank you guys. We're here. We finally did it, Nick. We did we it. Finally did it. Last time it was totally your fault. No, last Thanks, time everyone, I was for sick. joining Panko Podcast. We're going to be going over the lightning round now. And uh, if you've paid us all your money on Patreon, you'll hear five lightning questions with Val Chang. Thanks.